Thanks for pressing play. Imagine being 12 years old at home with your dad as you watch a strange car pull up in front of your house. Two men in uniform get out, and one's a chaplain. This is an experience only Gold Star families know. And this was the moment a 12-year-old Christian Anschutz learned that his older brother, his hero, Norman, had died serving his country. It's easy to forget that we have an all-volunteer military, that these legendary humans make a choice to give their lives to protect ours. They choose to serve, they choose to fight and die for us, and for the dream that is America. And if you don't live in America and you have a wonderful, extraordinary volunteer military, then they do that for the dream of your country too. In Christian's case, a few years later, in honor of his brother and with love of country in his heart, Christian Anschutz joined the U.S. military and became a Marine captain. His response to Norman making the biggest sacrifice a person can make was to do the exact same. Who does that? Well, it turns out our guest today, Christian Anschutz, does. Today's episode is a love letter to our military and vets. After his service, Christian had a long and successful career as both an entrepreneur and an S&P 500 senior C-level executive. And uh, we've known each other for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, we were introduced by our dear friend uh, Bob Evans, who's the founder of Cloud Wars. If you know the Cloud Wars uh, podcast that I've been on many times, as has Christian. And now Christian has sort of hung up his uniform as an executive and as an advisor but he still continues to serve. You see, he's also one of the leaders of a new organization called Task Force Tribute. And Task Force Tribute is on a mission to create a crowdsourced living digital memorial for all those who have served since 9-11-2001. And starting on August 21st, 2022, with a send-off in beautiful um, Lansing, Michigan, at the Michigan National Guard, this new organization, Task Force Tribute, will uh, start their mission. And they will be traveling across the United States, 7,054 miles to be exact, one mile for every lost military member since 9-11. You see, they're on a mission to collect and memorialize the priceless stories of so many of our military members, veterans, and fellow Americans who hold our military dear in their hearts. And it's an extraordinary project, one that I was amazed that no one had attempted before, frankly. And this part of the mission will end on September 11th, uh, 2022 in Washington, D.C. And if you want to learn more about this extraordinary uh, mission, visit taskforcetribute.org. Also, as we go into this conversation, you might want to have some Kleenex, and you might also want to pay special attention to our discussion on what, if anything, America owes its vets. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. 
So how are you, brother? Oh, man, uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Frenetic. I mean, it is absolutely frenetic. We are uh, busy, 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 getting closer and closer to this uh, task force tribute launch. And it's, uh, you know, it's nothing less than crazy. And we haven't even gone to the media yet, which is uh, kind of cool and exciting, a little bit scary. It's like, uh, you know, sitting on the edge of chaos and knowing that you're really going to descend further into it as opposed to get farther away from it. So it's exciting times. <laughs> well, aren't Marines natural with that, Christian, just sort of turn into the chaos? Well, yeah, we're supposed to be, but you know, like everybody else, you know, military members, they're just, you know, flesh and blood and emotion like everybody. And so, yeah, we, we do get stressed out. We laugh, we cry. And I think I'm going to be doing quite a bit of uh, stress management and hopefully more laughing than crying over the next number of weeks. But, uh, you know, time will tell. <laughs> so maybe let's get into task force tribute and yeah. why you're doing it. And it's, it's a very exciting project. So why, why don't you tell me all about it? Well, thank you. And, uh, I'd love to tell you all about it. So um, do you want me to talk about the Project Reload origins uh, at all? Or do you want me to just go and talk about Task Force Tribute? What do you think? Uh, it's a totally open question. So you field the question however you would like to, uh, uh, sir. All right. Well, I, I love that latitude <laughs> because I do like the room to maneuver. So let me just really quickly talk about uh, Project Reload. And, you know, what is this? We've done like three or some shows before. I, I'm shocked. I mean, I... How long have we known each other? I did one of your early shows, and what was that, like five years ago? Was it that long ago? Yeah, it would be because yeah. I started podcasting a, a little over five years ago, almost five and a half years ago now. And I I don't know exactly, Christian, but you were probably among our 25 first guests, certainly 50 first guests for sure, but probably 25. Yeah, it was really early days. And 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 the reason why I bring it up is that, that first one we talked about uh, Project Relo, and and I'm sure your subscribership is probably a tad bit bigger now than it was back nah. when we uh, did our very first one. But, uh, you know, nobody, my uh, mom listens. And that's. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. Um, Love you. Yeah, so uh, Project Relo, a, a real quick background. Project Relo is a veteran nonprofit. It's small, it's niche, but it's it's cool. It's got like great ambition plus sex appeal. I mean, those two things are go hand in hand, right? And so what is it and what do we do? Okay, so what we do is we take uh, some of the nation's top uh, executive leadership, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and their management teams, and we provide leadership training to them. But what we do and then how we do it starts getting more powerful, right? The how we do it is, uh, and I don't know any other organization on, in, in the U.S. that does this, you know, in a, in a partnership uh, with having the right partnerships, we actually go onto military bases and we conduct full military operations. I mean, the first night, these leadership uh, teams, these CEOs and management teams, they might stay in the barracks. We get up and then we start executing essentially a mission uh, and an exercise over three days. We're in the field. It's everything from convoy operations, communications, weapons, handling, et cetera. And the people that are teaching this leadership are transitioning military members. And so that's what we do and how we do it. Now, why we do it. And I, and I, I think uh, if I was to quote someone else, we but might I, say, I just, always, let me just make yeah. sure. So what we have is a program. How many days is uh, when I do one of these missions? Three days. Three days. Yeah, typically. So a typically. group of executives, typically from one company, yes? Uh, it's mixed often, but oh, uh, one company is, is generally the model. Okay. And we do a three-day simulation of a set of military exercises. Is that what happens? 
Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, although I'd be uh, simulation makes me think something digital. This is highly physically immersive. They're in a they're on a base. When I say we're handing, you know, we're putting you know communications uh, equipment on them. We're teaching them how to do comms. You know, the importance of like communicating the right way. Oh my God, like. There's a military way to do that. And oh, by the way, there's a leadership lesson in that. Yeah, there is. I mean, and, and you probably get that better than most. Um, but it's 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 a simulation only in the sense that, like, it's an exercise. But you're actually handling real weapons. You're actually in real uh, outdoor environment. We're in real mount environments, real uh, uh, training environments. And while we don't fire live rounds, we fire simulated rounds from real weapons. I was just about to ask, when do I get to shoot my uh, coworkers? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's part of the curriculum. So we have like key leader engagements in, in uh, really fascinating environments. It is it's really fun and it's really sexy. But the why of it. And so I tell what it is, how we do it, the why of it is. Here's the why of it, uh, Chris, and it'll, it'll feed the task force tribute. Most people in the United States, they don't know military veterans now, certainly not active duty, uh, military members. We've professionalized our force. Um, you know, whoa, we have, well, hold on it? there for a sec, handsome. Did you just say that most Americans don't know somebody serving in the military? Is that what you just said? I did say that. And, uh, now there's levels of knowing by the way. So someone might go, Oh yeah, I know like 10. Yeah. Some people do. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't, or they know them primarily Chris from, you know, movies. Hmm. Generally not a good way of knowing a, a group of people. Because, well, I certainly do know uh, some folks who are active U.S. military right now. The folks yeah. that I know best in your world are folks like you, uh, uh, veterans. So former military, retired, who are now out in the world. And as you well know, I have a big soft spot for our veterans and a huge soft spot for veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, my friend, Iron Mike Stedman, one of the guys I admire the most is, uh, is, uh, trying to be a pioneer in empowering black veteran entrepreneurs. He calls them BVEs. Love it. And so I, yeah, I have lots of friends who are veterans who are also, uh, entrepreneurs. So when, when you say the average American doesn't know anybody in the military, does that include veterans as well? Uh, no, I, I guess what I'm saying, uh, is that because you have such a small percentage of the population is, uh, that serves. And, and at this point, I'm that 1%, I'm really talking about active duty. The number's bigger when you talk about reserve components and guards, uh, by the way, that's all, those are all veterans. I'm not discriminating, but I am picking, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking active duty mostly because that's my background. So I'm not precluding anybody, excluding anybody. I'm just thinking my background. You know, there's there, there's a huge swaths of our population that really don't know, you know, what a military member is or not. And and the reason why I'm even bringing this up is so let's go back to the why of Project Relo. We do this cool thing. We teach leadership. How we do it? Very different, immersive. And we're teaching, uh, you know, these top executives in these very interesting environments with very interesting instructors. And why do we do it? It's so that they can walk away with an understanding that our military members have incredible skills, not just shooting things and blowing stuff up, leadership skills, the soft skills, the soft skills that make the hard differences in business. And unless you get to know a group of people, and here's a hypothesis of mine, uh, I, I stand by it. I've tested it enough. As soon as you get to know a group of people, whatever the group of people, 
you develop an appreciation for those people. You like those people. And so we we give these leadership teams something very tangible, something very important that will help them, sure. But what we also do is we help them understand that hiring these women and men out of our armed forces isn't a social good. It is good business because they can help you be more commercially competent by bringing in the right skills, the right character, et cetera, uh, that are going to make a difference for your organization. And that's the why of it, uh, Chris. Well, and as an interesting side note, um, over the years, I've known several companies um, out here in Silicon Valley that make hiring veterans a priority. Um, My friends at Splunk have a very um, uh, specific program where they're trying to attract uh, military members. They also have a a security business, right? Technology security business, as you well know. And so there's a lot of security expertise, obviously, uh, in the military. I know Palo Alto Networks um, does a similar thing. And having gotten to know some of these, uh, and then, of course, I was at um, Mercury for years and um, headquartered in Israel. And, you know, virtually all of our Israeli staff, of course, had served in the Israeli military. And, you know, our head of engineering was a Navy SEAL. And, you know, our head of products was a a fighter pilot squadron captain, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've just been around these environments where vets are in companies, in tech companies in, in this example. And my experience in general, maybe I'm biased, maybe whatever, Fucking A, you want to hire people to get some legendary shit done in your company, hire some people who have served. Well, I mean, look at you. I mean, so you know people and you then you see that and then you it's easy for you to come to that conclusion. By the way, I don't think military veterans are better than non-veterans. I want to get that out there very clear. I think everybody comes with their own uh, background opportunity to bring a, a new and unique perspective or at least their unique perspective. But the military, I mean, they professionalize the training of leadership. I mean, they profess when you're a, a military member, you aren't going into, uh, you know, into the office and then just telling, you know, trying to execute some day to day operation. You might be doing that, but you might also like the y- y- you know something about your team. When's their birthday? Are they married? Do they have kids. Are they, is everything OK at home? Like, you know, the, because l- let's face it. Look, the the future is going to be highly technologically enabled. I think you and I could agree on that. I will also tell you that I think the future is uniquely human. And so us having a human, uh, you know, really good human skills and connecting with people, uh, I, I think is, um, is critical. And that's, you know, fundamental, fundamental to leadership. And that's something that is taught to our military members. So I think you are, uh, have a, a very unique perspective and I think it's it's different than most people. And I'll, let me, let's get talk about some data. So Edelman, Edelman Research, very well re- known research organization, did a study uh, not too long ago on veteran well being. Now there's all sorts of stuff in this study, but there's a there's a couple key points. And I know you, one of these things kind of triggers you, and I love it. I love the how you react to this. But one of the 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 the, the, the things that jump off the pages of this study is that most people. And, and by the way, as a veteran, I can speak for at least myself and maybe a, a large swath of veterans. I, we, we hate this word, but they look at military veterans as heroes, right? But they don't look at them as an asset. 
Now, being a military member is just a thing you do at the time before you go on to the next thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, that this, this idea of thanking veterans for their service and then kind of moving on, hey, I, you know, I did what I could do. And, and but that's well intended. That's great. Fantastic. I'm not going to criticize that. Um, but for companies uh, to realize, to spend the time to realize what this immense and powerful talent pool can do for their organizations uh, above and beyond sort of like, hey, I was a, a staff sergeant. Uh, you know, I was responsible for all this stuff, all these people, keeping people motivated on target, on mission, getting stuff done. And then I get out and you want to say, hey, I need you to start from scratch and be at the lowest rung of my organization. Despite that kind of uh, background is it's kind of a waste for the person and for the organization, too. It's weird. I, I find this a weird discussion. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's been so uh, natural for me for so long. I mean, Mercury being a great example. I mean, uh, we had about 4,000 people roughly at the end and probably half of them were Israeli. And of course, in Israel, everybody serves at least for a little while. Yeah. And then in my friend group, I mean, I have, I have veterans who are doing, you know, very big venture backed tons and tons of millions invested, uh, Silicon Valley type outfits and then a whole bunch of my favorite entrepreneurs kind of what i lovingly refer to as smally entrepreneurs are veterans i mean tom schwab at interview valet who who helped me tremendously particularly in the beginning of podcasting uh, guest on podcasts and give me a lot of coaching and love and support and he still does to this day we become friends the folks that handle all of my technical execution uh uh jamie j uh, led by jamie j uh former paratrooper i mean i just i don't know I just have always seemed to have had lots of military around. And so I guess my point is, I thought it was generally well understood that uh, these folks come with a very unique set of uh, skills. And many of them, of course, are very service oriented. This term servant leadership we hear a lot today, which I, th I think is a fantastic, fantastic term. And so I guess my question uh, leading up to uh, this question, Christian, is, why don't more people get the power of hiring vets? Well, it goes back to the original premise is that, you know, so many of them really don't, uh, you know, don't know them. I mean, let's look, let's, let's even bake it down as a, let's get the individual out of it for a second. And let's talk about it, like how the big systems work. So the military's kicking off, you know, uh, uh, veterans at the cyclic rate, right. They, you know, because the, the military cycles through people. I think there's, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the number wrong and what a fact checker listening in, I'll get this right. You know, there, I don't know. Is there 17 million, 20, 30 million veterans in the United States, whatever the number, there's many, many uh, uh, millions uh, in the tens of millions. Uh, and uh, you know, the uh, you know, when you, when you look at our veterans uh, you know, they, 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 they come from all sort of uh, you know, backgrounds and et cetera, but they get out. And the first thing that uh, let's say they've been in for 10 years or that staff sergeant, again, a Marine Corps staff sergeant, and they put everything in their resume and they go to a company and they say, Hey, this is what I do. What, what, what do you think the chances that the, the resumes and everything are go through some automated system that's looking for some keyword. And what do we think the chances that those keywords are usually and, and there's a little bit change here coming, which is fantastic, but they're typically around some technical skill. You know this process, you know this technology, you know this, you've worked in this industry, et cetera. All right. So first of all, nobody's really looking at it. Second of all, the systems just look for certain keywords and then they get, you know, stacked in a pile in front of some HR person. 
uh, and they go, oh, hey, Staff Sergeant, I mean, we're in uh, transportation and you are an infantry uh, person. So you what's your skill? You shoot things and you blow stuff up. We really need somebody that knows something about logistic systems, et cetera. And then we fail to we fail to match. I mean, look, there's 40,000 uh, veteran nonprofits out there and they do a wide gamut of things like helping with injuries and, and um, drug addiction. And oh, I should, shouldn't start with those uh, uh, terrible uh, examples, but uh, transitioning is a huge, huge uh, portion of what those nonprofits do. And it's because it's difficult and it's because most companies actually don't have the time. Maybe it's, they don't take the time. They don't have the time to really investigate what are the, the real skills and capabilities that someone can bring to uh, an organization in this area that we're talking about, which is, you know, the, the soft skills. And, and I'll keep using the word. It's not the only word, but the, you know, leadership. I mean, let's just uh, divert for a second, uh, uh, Chris. I mean, you know, we both know the corporate world really well, right? And, you know, this whole, what, the big quit, the great resignation, right? What's that all about? You know, I, I, here's a hypothesis on my part. It's, you know, pay was always like number five, right? We talked about this once. It was about the number five motivator, but it had to do with like career opportunities. Am I able to develop myself, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until it got to five. And now the great quit or the big resignation or the great quit, I'm now mixing terms. Um, it's all about the number one thing is now money, right? Except for it's not. It's never, it, that's still not true. It just appears that way. You know why? Because large, by no small part, at least in this guy's opinion, companies have given up on the first four. They've given up on the first four. And now we're, we're, we work for companies and our lever is salary. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a fundamental issue with leadership. And it's a fundamental uh, issue in getting the right people that are going to create the culture uh, that is going to uh, really be a force in retaining people in support of a long lasting uh, success for an organization. Yeah. I, th I think you said this to me once Pe people don't leave companies, they leave people. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I, I generally, I think that's right. I mean, you look, uh, are there circumstances where money is a primary driver? Of, of course there are, but if the money's relatively close um, and for many of uh, many folks, it is we're at 3% unemployment, at least, in terms of the people who are still in the workforce, there's a lot of discussion about how many people have checked out, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But in general, you know, most of us are earning plus or minus 10 or 20% of what we can earn. Maybe it's, maybe it's time for us to test that from an economic perspective, but in general, I think Fair. people work for and with other people. I mean, there's nothing forcing you and I to have this conversation other than, I'll speak for myself. I deeply respect you and have been very much looking forward to this conversation. And I think in general, most of us want to be in that work environment. It's not to say that it's all moonlight and canoes all the time at work, but that uh, in general, if we respect and admire who we're working with and we think what we're doing matters in one form or another, those relationships and a feeling that our work is important uh, in one way or another those things are bigger drivers, uh, and all the studies back this up, um, than money are generally. And I would say that that I, I believe that's still true. I do believe it's still true. I do believe, though, to some extent, uh, at least from this guy's perspective, companies have largely given up on, uh, you know, some of what you're talking about, right? I mean, it, look, let me go back to what started Project Relo. Again, this is data point self, 
All right. So it, it doesn't necessarily, it, I'm not giving a universal truth. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my experience. And, and I was, um, uh, you know, as, as you know, and I, I didn't introduce myself here. I don't know if it matters, but you know, I, I've, I've been lucky and I've had a very good uh, run in, in the, in the corporate career, corporate world. And I was in a, one of those opportunities where I was with a bunch of C-level executives for some of the best firms in the country. And I was at this event and I was feeling a little bit, um, I was feeling a little bit peckish. Let's just put it that way. I'd seen a couple things that I'm just like, I, why do companies keep making these same mistakes? Like their fundamental errors and issues with leadership, which has a lot to do with inspiring people to want to accomplish a goal and then enabling them to get there. All right. And I was just, I was like, you know, why do we have so many corporate leaders that seem to struggle with that simple concept? I mean, it's all about financial gymnastics and this, that, and the other thing. It's not often enough, at least in my opinion, about the people. And, um, and so I went out and, and I'm in this room, there's, uh, let's say 50 uh, other executives in there. And I'd said, okay, I'm going to go and find out how many of them were in the military. Because in my mind, I was thinking that means they were, you know, very formally, very specifically trained on what leadership is and how leadership works. Again, I'm not saying veterans have a lock on this. I'm just sharing that was my perspective. And I went and I talked to uh, every single one of them. I'm, I'm can be a little gregarious, as you know, and I don't mind talking to people. And uh, I talked to everybody. And out of that group, there was one veteran. And it was this guy. Right. And, uh, you know, and I, I found that to be a little very different, by the way, than your experience, which you just described, and a little bit different than what I was hoping for, to be candid. You know, I'm reminded of the words of the legendary Iron Mike Stedman, who says he believes that BVEs and potential BVEs, Black veteran entrepreneurs, are the largest untapped resource in America. Sure. And so um, maybe let's go to um, Task Force tribute. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> because this is a celebration. This is an acknowledgement uh, and a way of raising the profile for our vets. Is it not? It is. And it's also about um, uh, honoring and remembering those, you know, not, not just that served, but those that still serve and, uh, and those that served and, and, uh, and candidly gave their all, right? They gave everything for this country. Um, so Task Force Tribute, uh, you know, this was one of those crazy ideas that has somehow turned into having like really immense legs. So Task Force Tribute is a uh, it's a journey across the United States, and we're covering one mile for every service member lost since 9-11. And sadly, that is a long trip. You know, we're, we're launching from the, the, the steps of the state capitol. How many miles is it? 7,054. So since 9-11? Since 9-11. 7,054. Now that's just those lost in combat operations. Uh, we want to, uh, you know, you want to talk about the sort of the weight sometimes of uh, military service or, you know, or, or maybe just life, but the number of veterans that have uh, died from suicide in that same period of time dwarfs that number, absolutely dwarfs that number. And it's shocking and it's, it's, it's distressing uh, candidly. So we, just to be put a fine point on it, we lose more of our military to suicide than we do from combat operations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that puts some shit in perspective. For you, doesn't yeah. Doesn't it? It, it yeah. does for me. It's a whack right in the, Shorten privates. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and by the way, that again, that also not unique to military uh, uh, veterans, you know, mental health and, and uh, you know, hard times, challenges, trauma, um, you know, from a military uh, veteran perspective or from a military perspective, we do put our, our, our women and men in really adverse uh, conditions. And then, you know, it, it, then depending on the organization, uh, you know, you, you, it, it can be a double-edged sword. Like if I could just share my background, I'll get back to task force tribute, but we, you know, you take these military members. You can go anywhere then, you want, handsome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, you know, like I was, I was in the Marine Corps, you know, I did a couple tours. Uh, I got, I was uh, privileged to serve in, in just a, absolutely uh, a, a series of great organizations. I was part of one unit in particular. Uh, it was, a, it was a hard charging uh, CO uh, and uh, the level of uh, camaraderie of trust. I'll use the word. I know it sounds corny. I, I'm not afraid of sounding corny. Love, love we had for uh, one another uh, was so powerful. And then, you know, for a lot of veterans that get out of uh, organizations or units, uh, you know, they're struggling with the transition. They're struggling with a lot of things. They're also struggling with losing that because that is a powerful force. And, you know, that old saying, you know, it's better to have loved uh, and lost than to have never loved. Well, maybe when you're a, a veteran, when you when you have uh, had that and you have, you, you know, you're losing it and you don't, you didn't, A, you didn't know you were going to lose it and what you were getting into. And B, you, you spend the next number of years or maybe even the rest of your life. To, it varies on individual to individual looking forward to not finding it. It's, you know, it's a heavy weight on top of everything else. And sometimes it's on top of the, the, the trauma or the, you know, the hardship that went with the service in the first place. Um, but back to the task force tribute, it's, it's part of that, that uh, belief in service, of that that camaraderie and recognizing those uh, uh, men and women that so many of us uh, loved and appreciated that we're doing this journey. So, hey, look, what what we're doing is simple, right? We're we're it, it's going to be high profile. It's going to get a, a fair amount of media coverage. We're, this is all volunteer, hundred percent volunteer group. That's going to load up in this convoy. We're stopping at different military bases and, and government installations and interacting with different parts of the public as we cross uh, the country starting 21 August and finishing in D.C. on 11 September. Um, we are uh, uh, doing a, a, a number of things in this uh, uh, along this uh, trip that is going to be quite newsworthy. We got a great sponsor. Our main sponsor is uh, the largest or the second largest broadcast company in the, in the country. And uh, they're going to make sure this gets uh, a lot of news and press around the great stories. Let's just talk about it. The great stories that our men and women are doing both in, in uniform and out of uniform to, to, to actually honor and respect and, and maybe help, but otherwise propel our military and its former military members forward. And we're doing this, by the way, uh, to raise money to do something that's never been done before. So I'm going to pivot and, and, and just say what that is. We're going to build uh, the first uh, large-scale virtual living uh, monument uh, or memorial uh, to uh, our military members since 9-11. So it's going to be a GWAT memorial, but this is what's going to make it very, very different. A, a what memorial, Chris, Christian? Yeah, you called it a G-something? Oh, the GWAT. The G, uh, I'm sorry. I should have explained that. GWAT, Global War on Terror. That's the... The phrase we use for global war on terror. Yeah, since 9-11, the GWAT. And so this will be the first digital memorial 
and you're focused on all of our vets since 9-11. All of our vets since 9-11. That's correct. And, you know, if I may, you know, most of our memorials, like I love physical memorials. I absolutely love them. Okay. My favorite one, unsurprisingly, is the, you know, you, uh, uh, <laughs> Iwo Jima Memorial. I almost said Okinawa. Uh, you know, or, well, Okinawa too. I lived in Okinawa for a while, but the Iwo Jima Memorial. And, you know, it's fantastic. You see these this, this group of Marines holding this flag, right? But you don't know anything and you never really will uh, unless you do a lot of research on your own. And even then you won't find it. W- about the other, you know, tens plus, th- 10 plus thousand casualties uh, that were you know, killed in taking that island or the hundreds of thousands of airmen, Marines, Navy, soldiers and and civilians that were involved in that. And so what we conceive of as a memorial, the virtual memorial is is building something um, that is, uh, you know, it's not steel, it's not stone and it's not concrete, but the raw materials are going to be the stories and the perspectives of our service members. And those information elements, because we have the technology to do this now, we have that shared background, Chris, you and I, we, you know, high tech background. We have the ability to weave these together and present them in fascinating and visual ways that have never, ever been conceived before. And so we could tell the story, not just of that small group of Marines. I'm using uh, uh, Iwo Jima as an example, uh, but not that's just that small group holding up the flag, but all those that participated. Because in so many ways, our military members, they all need to be memorialized for everything that they uh, did and they, they gave to this country. And uh, as I say that, as we conceive of the, the raw materials of the information, the stories, the perspectives, build this capability that allows this, the, the story core, the Smithsonian, the National Archives, the museums, there, the Oral History Project, all these great organizations that are already collecting these 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 stories and they're locking them into nowhere. You know, you, you, you can maybe find them, but there's so much of it. But bring all that together, figure out how to connect to create the relationships to it and then visualize it in ways that we've never uh, even conceived of. Uh, fortunately, Chris, we got tons of really great uh, technology companies, big technology companies that are getting on board with helping us figure out how to build this. Exciting times, exciting times. It's so cool. Uh, and it's interesting that he- here we sit in 2022 and uh, nobody's done this. I mean, it seems like an obvious that we would have a digital memorial um, and yet we don't. And so uh, when did you and, and, and your uh, co-conspirators in this plan wake up and go, hey, wait a minute, there's no digital memorial and there needs to be one. And if there isn't one, then we're going to create one. When, when, when did that light bulb go off for you? Well, uh, let me answer it this way, if I may. So, uh, you know, the pandemic really kind of slowed things down for Project Relo. I mean, military bases were closing and guess what? You know, companies, teams weren't traveling. And we had, uh, uh, you know, this tragic, this, this tragedy where when we withdrew from Afghanistan, we lost 13 service members. Right. And I don't care if you're on the left or you're the right. I think everybody will always agree, will agree. That's a tragedy, a, a tragic loss of life. Right. So this is completely nonpartisan. Uh, some of our uh, Relo alumni and others, they they form this quiet ruck around the city of Chicago. They were going to ruck one mile uh, march. Uh, keep using these terms. They're going to march one mile around the city for every service member lost. And they didn't tell the media. They didn't tell anybody. They did invite 
some friends. And those friends told two friends who told two friends who told, and you know what happened, right? And now it's media and it's hundreds participating, thousands, and even more, you know, watching and, and, and uh, seeing this. That was the impetus behind Task Force Tribute. The impetus behind the memorial is, well, let's be really candid. So there are virtual, anything that exists today in the physical world has been virtualized to some extent, right? Go into a museum and you can get an iPad and, and walk through the museum and, and you can see kind of what you're doing, uh, but sure. on an iPad screen, right? We also virtualize yep. what home tours, right? When you're buying a house from a real estate, very useful technologies. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, something radically different, which is A, crowdsourcing the material, which is, I mean, all these millions of uh, military members that have the opportunity to you know, provide that sort of that, that proxy for the stone, the steel, and the concrete to build a, a, essentially a perspective on a ground truth perspective, by the way, of what they did, what they experienced, and the great, great Americans uh, that they served with. And that some gave their all and, and many of them survived. Most survived, thankfully. To the best of your knowledge, Christian, are there other veteran memorials, war memorials that have this UGC user generated content, this Wikipedia contribution, wisdom of the crowds, et cetera, model? Has that been done much in the uh, veteran military space? Not that I know of. Now, if any of your listeners know something about this and want to come forward and say, hey, look at this and look at that. I mean, there's all sorts of things like Ancestry.com is doing stuff. There are all sorts of organizations that are trying to collect stories and perspectives. But we don't know anybody who is. And see, this is why we're talking, by the way. You went right to Wikipedia. You went right to Wikipedia. Now, just imagine it's crowdsourcing content like that but with a very rich, a very, very rich visualization, okay? And that doesn't exist, all right? Mostly because, uh, well, first of all, there's, there's, what, 70 different memorials to the global war on terror right now, I think. Um, and if there's any virtual representation to it, it's kind of like what you would expect. Like, hey, go online and get this walk-around tour of what it looks like. And that is virtualization. It is. It's not what we're talking about, though. It's talking about connecting all that and allowing people to, to lend a ground truth voice of or this is what happened. This is what I saw. I was part of, uh, well, again, I got so many examples. I don't want to get into storytelling right now, but maybe in a second. But everybody gets to contribute to building the monument just as you can contribute to building Wikipedia. We just need a slicker visualization. And so, for example, if there was a particular mission, a particular battle, a particular point in time where our volunteer military is involved in, in an operation, the people in that operation can share what they saw, what they heard, what they were part of, what they saw others do and not do, et cetera, on the ground. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That would be right. It doesn't have to be a combat operation. It could be a support mission and any number of different things. Sure. It could be setting up a, a hospital in a remote location. It could, I, mean, I assume it could be all sorts of missions, right? All, all, all sorts. I mean, to me, the, uh, the logistics part of what our military does is extraordinary. And that, that, that part of it fascinates me. I mean, I have a friend who's a retired fire chief. He's not military, but his specialty uh, in the fire service was ops. And when we had these massive fires in California, he could literally set up 
a functioning city for 20,000 uh, firefighters in six to eight hours. That's, that's insane. Right. And so, so this, this, and of course the military, you know, I remember when, when the shit was really hitting the fan with COVID and when um, we've had some of these huge uh, fire problems here in California, um, I have, I have wondered why we didn't mobilize the military much more quickly than we did because um, last time I checked, our military is um, legendary at ops and and putting in supply lines and setting that shit up and setting it up fast. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if, if we're good at a lot of things. We're really good at sustainment. And and by the way, again, that's not the sexy stuff people want to talk about. But, you know, you want to look overseas and see what happens when you can't do sustainment. Well, that's why sustainment is something that we really uh, spend a lot of time on well, as a U.S. military. And look at what we've seen in uh, the war with uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine. I mean, if if we're to believe some of the things that we've been told, part of why Russia has not had anywhere near the success that most uh, experts thought they would has been logistics, right? We, we, we've heard all these stories of tanks exactly. running out of gas and not enough food and you know, and like people forget, like you can't, yeah, there could be a long convoy, but that convoy just doesn't sort of succeed without a lot of support. Right? Yeah. You know, and it, it doesn't succeed without a lot of support. And it, it also, uh, you know, this is kind of me jumping around a little bit. It doesn't succeed when there's not a, like a fighting spirit. And I think maybe just maybe they're, they, they've lost the spirit because of their sustainment issues and, and other issues, perhaps. Uh, I, I'm not uh, uh, informed enough to really opine on that. But I can tell you, and this is kind of going back to Project Reload Task Force Tribute, when you get uh, people, as you said, working on something that they believe in, working with people to their left and their right that they trust, that they have a real affinity for and respect for, those people can do just about anything. They can win wars. They can certainly win battles. They can win wars and they can help companies too. And so what is the big thing that you hope um, non-veterans uh, experience uh, from the new memorial, from the new digital memorial? Well, I'll go first at something that uh, even fewer people can identify with, but I'll start there. So I lost my brother uh, while he was serving in the United States Army during Operation Reforger. And uh, he had uh, a lot of family members and friends that weren't military members. And I can tell you for sure, and this is from a lot of conversations with other Gold Star family members, the information and the perspective of others, even the smallest details about, you know, their loved one and that, that passed, it's, it's like gold dust to them. Like just knowing my dad to this day still wonders what the chaplain that notified us um, of his death, what, what he's doing. He wonders what the, uh, the, the notifying officer that drove up on that day, if he remembers giving that message. He sometimes comments about, I wonder what the careers were like of the, uh, of the soldiers that fired uh, the salute at his military funeral. And so I think in that case, what military, non-military members or family members can get, particularly around those of the fallen, they can almost in no small way, and again, I'm speaking from my family's perspective, not everybody's, but hearing these stories and getting these perspectives about their, their loved ones, like, wow, you know, your brother Norm, he was great on the range and he helped everybody, you know, um, 
uh, fire better on the rifle range. And, and uh, you know, he was also the, uh, the, the cut up uh, for his uh, company and was always making jokes or whatever it was. Um, in no way, no small way for us, that uh, breathes life back into our lost uh, family member. And it's, it's, uh, it might sound, I don't know how it sounds, but it's real and it's powerful. So I think there's that aspect for our, um, our, our non-military members, but the family members of those that fell. But for so, everyone so else, I'm sorry. Please. Could we just pause there for a minute, Christian, if you don't mind? And if you don't want to talk about this, I, I, I deeply, you know, I was going to say I understand. I don't understand, but I deeply respect however you, you do or don't want to talk about uh, Norm. How old were you that day that the chaplain and the... Um, the notifying officers came. Oh, I was I was a youngin, you know. So my <laughs> my my brother was uh, twenty four at the time, and I was twelve. I I was twelve, Chris, and I can remember that day. Do you remember that day? I I remember that day, uh, you know, as clear as I can see you now. And um, you know, I I don't know how to. Uh, uh, everybody's had. I, everybody I know has had. You know things like this happen in their life. And, and again, I'm not rating this versus other people. I'm just explaining how uh, this was for my family. It, it, it changed the trajectory of, you know, uh, of our lives. You know, when my brother was killed, it did, it, it, it simply did. And, uh, and uh, it affects us still today. And that was a long time ago. My brother wasn't killed in the global war on terror. He was killed in operation uh, reforger in 1980. So, you know, it's not like this just, uh, you know, the person passed two years uh, later, you know, we're, you know, families are just over it. You're never really over it. It doesn't work that way. I don't know. I, I, what are your thoughts? Well, of course, I haven't had this experience, um, but I have suffered horrible loss, including the murder of a very dear friend who lived very close to me. So I, I can relate from the place that I can relate. Absolutely. What my experience of that was, was that most of what most people said, all very good intentioned, all wanting to be loving and supporting. So that that's very clear. But most of it was um, not helpful to hurtful, not intentionally, but, you know, all the sort of, oh, the first year is the hardest and you get going oh, with time and, you know, all that sort of problematic sort of bullshit people say because maybe they don't know what to say. Um, in a horrible situation like that, I found not helpful. And um, I am not better. I will not be better. They murdered him at 3 a.m. This is not an event that we get over. This is not an event that we heal from. Um, this is an event we make room for. And we continue to move forward powerfully. And, and we understand that the person that we lost in this horrible way, you know, I, I know this fucking guy. Today happens to be his birthday. Today is actually his birthday. Today's his birthday. And I know this man. I know what he wants for me. I know what he wants for the rest of his family and friends. I know this guy. It's not a theoretical discussion. And of course, he wants us to continue to be successful and, you know, I know Biden's a controversial figure today, and um, I'm not exactly in love with his presidency either. But one of the things that he said, because he, of course, has suffered horrible loss in his life as well. He has. Yeah. But he said something that that really has stuck with me, which is um, when 
you hear the name of your loved one or you see a photo or for whatever reason you're reminded of, of, of the person you've lost and particularly in a horrible way. When you smile and not cry, you certainly have hit a, um, you know, you've hit a point in being able to make room and move forward. Um, and so I think that's right. But, but I guess my point is, um, all of the psychological bullshit people tell you, at least for me, was completely wrong. And what, what people have a very hard time with is anger. People have a very hard time with loss. People have a very hard time with like emotional upset. Um, if you want to wreck a party or a dinner, start talking about your murdered friend. <laughs> and that's also hard because people just, I know they love you, but they don't know what to say in this. So they don't want to hang out in the discussion. And so that leads me to a point, which is how do we love and support our gold star families? Well, I think that's the that's the you know million dollar question, and that's what we're seeking answers for in no small way. This task force tribute, if there's ever been anything that is pure and intense, uh, and uh, you know that we feel at least we feel is you know completely centrist, we're completely non political, is this that we by and large we know that at least some portion of our rights and our freedoms are delivered to us. Uh, you know, as a result of the the service of our military members, and for those uh, family members that lost somebody, and, and while providing that service, um, yeah, you're right. It's an interesting thing you said. You know, you get to the point where you smile, and maybe you've you know you're you're past the worst of it. But I think you know what uh, I'm about to say is true: is that you can smile one day and cry the next, and that never you never just get to smile. I don't think. I, 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 again, my perspective and, and uh, maybe not right for everybody, but I don't think we ever just get to smile. But I think that, the, that what we can do for our Gold Star family members is remember those people and not remember them just as a name on a wall, but have more of a 360 view of who that person was. You know, my brother, um, I, I don't like to remember him as you know, first Lieutenant Norman Anschutz, you know, dying on the, you know, in a field somewhere. That's not how I remember him. I remember him as a, uh, a saxophone player. He loved jazz. You know, I remember him as my hero, uh, who was super athletic. And, and when he ran the obstacle course, I remember this, like, I'm like, I want to be like that someday. I remember him with a 360 view. And if people could help me remember and if we could help other Gold Star family members remember their loved ones with a view like that, I don't know. I think it'd be powerful. I think it'd be really powerful. Yes. And I think it would be good for others besides them. Yes. And so there you are at 12 years old. How is it possible that you uh, and your parents, at 12 years old, you deal with this? And then how old were you, Christian, when you decided, I'm going to go serve my country and be a Marine? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a funny thing. I'll answer the question, Chris, but, you know, to this day, my dad's 95 years old. And every time we hear taps to this day, he still cries. He still cries. Um, you know, back then, you know, this is a... Uh, 
Yeah, it's a tough subject. I, I'll do my best with it. I, I, I remember with perfect clarity that the sound of that door shutting on our quiet cul-de-sac. I mean, we lived in the end and, and, and it was at night and my dad and I went to our respective windows and we saw this car right out of a movie. It was a, a, a nondescript sedan and these two officers, one a chaplain and, and, uh, and another officer get out of this car. I'm 12. Okay. But my dad was a military member. I knew my brother was obviously active duty and I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't smart enough to know the details, but my dad who was looking out the window knew. And, uh, we went down there and, uh, met them at the door and it was instantly, I mean, it came out right away. You know, you're, you know, Mr. Anschutz, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, your, your, your son has been killed. And, um, and I had, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I was 12. I, I didn't know what I was doing or how to react. And I, I, I heard this and I went right up to my room and I left my dad by himself because we were the only ones home. I, of course, to add the, make the story worse, my, my mom was in the hospital, right? She's recovering from a surgery she had earlier in that day. And I'll get to answering your question, but I, I, I do want to add this because it does kind of speak to the, the, the previous topic. I, I, my dad and I never talked about that day ever until we started this task force tribute thing uh, just a number of months ago. Never talked about that day. But what we did talk about is that uh, my brother uh, was doing something he believed in and he was doing it for people and then for a country that he also believed in. And in my family, our belief was not shaken uh, about the greatness of this country. It wasn't shaken with his death. It could have been maybe, but it wasn't for us. And I knew uh, by the time I was 15, I think, three years later, I was going to join the Marine Corps. And I was on that trajectory. And my mom, can you imagine that? And my mom, you know, didn't have to give her blessing, but did. And I remember her telling me, uh, you know how I I, I feel about this, but it's important for you to do what you think is the right thing. And uh, so. You know, I don't know where that came from. I, I could have probably taken different paths, perhaps, and, and uh, or the family could have been interpreting, you know, how to deal with that uh, that loss. But it, it my brother um, died, and I know it sounds corny. And some of your listeners aren't going to maybe you know feel the same way. I get it. Okay, uh, my brother died believing he was doing something for for a country that mattered, that needed people on the line, that needed people uh, serving it. And, um, and his loss didn't, it did not shake that belief in me, at least. And I still believe that's true, by the way. Uh, I'm trying not to completely fucking lose my shit. Um, I'm so fucking sorry. And I'm so fucking grateful. I mean, you know, I live in Santa Cruz, California, two blocks from the beach. And I think a lot of people in our country are fucking confused. Because the reason there aren't hundreds, if not thousands, of ships sitting off our coastline right now, attacking our country, is because of you and Norm and your dad. Freedom isn't fucking free. And um, I think a lot of people are confused about that. And so with that said, and if you don't want to talk about this, that's okay too. I think you know, everybody says thank you for your service. We owe you a thank you. And we fucking do. 
But you and I talked about this, you know, a little while ago. I think we owe you something. And I think the state of the state and the state of the nation, the fact that we are having the level of anger and violence and, um, against each other, the fact that more Americans hate more Americans than ever before, the fact that people don't realize that hating somebody just because they think differently from you in a political way might be the biggest fucking um, harbinger of ignorance and stupidity in humanity. Because I have people across the p political spectrum that I disagree with vehemently on very important topics to me, who I love, who I know are great people. And so my question, Christian, is, don't we owe you something other than just a thank you? Well, I, <laughs> if I may, I, 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 um, I, I, I don't feel like I was owed anything. I, I, my, my service to this, my, my country, which continues even today, as so many of ours does, yours too, as a great citizen, um, is an honor in no small way. It's an honor. I do think, however, to your point, that, uh, well, a couple things uh, for all the listeners. I, I, again, I'm speaking for myself and, and the number of veterans. I know this to be true, and I'm not saying it's true for all veterans. Um, but this whole thank you for your service is, is a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Very often, it's it's uncomfortable to hear that. And it's in no small part because, A, it was, it was an honor to uh, serve with some of the you know, the, some great Americans that we all get to serve with when we're in the uh, in the military. And it was an honor to serve for such a great country, regardless of whether our, our populace has, you know, issues or with one another at times. But what I think, though, happens and, and the reason why I have an issue with the thank you for the service, it goes back to what we were talking about before with that Edelman study. It's almost as if our society will look at so many of our veterans and say, thank you for their service and then say, oh, I got to go over here when our military members often are, are trying to figure out how they can continue to serve in, in a different capacity, serve our communities, serve our companies and can serve our country as good citizens. And, you know, there's this there's we're we're actually we are all in this together. Right. Of continuing to fight for this country and make this country, uh, excuse me, not make it. This country is and should be continue to be a country worth fighting for. And I, and I believe that it, that's what we're all in together to not thank our veterans for their service, but rather say, you know, we're in this uh, together and we are going to keep this country as a company that's worth serving in whatever capacity. Yeah, that, that's my point, which is don't we own Norm? We own Norm. We owe his sacrifice. The, the commitment to making this country worth fighting for and dying for. And to me, it's just my opinion. When the assholes in Washington scream at each other and monetize hate on purpose, when the assholes in the media, when the assholes in social media purposely and intentionally create anger and animosity, American to American, for their short-term gain, and they, they fucking do it across the political spectrum. It's disgusting. And there's very few people trying to have a conversation called, hey, let's stop yelling at each other for fuck's sakes. 
We're on a path, in my opinion, to civil war if we don't wake the fuck up. I don't want to fight other Americans. And I think we owe it to Norm to continuously build a legendary country that is worth fucking fighting for. Well, it's, I'm not going to argue with that. I would add this. I think we owe it to Norm. I think we know, owe it to all those that gave their all in, in, in uh, service to this country. I believe we owe that to uh, all of our military members, whether they you know, served in the front lines or in the rear. And I think we owe it to all of us because we're the benefactors of this being a, a great country. And it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not. So I'm not trying to be some sort of apolitical centrist here. We are all in this together, and our military members are just kind of like the hard shell of this 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 candy, right? They're they, they the military sits out there and protects us from all sorts of uh, look. And if we didn't know this before, God, we you, if you haven't read the news, there are forces out there that are against us. They are they are absolutely against us, and would love to see you know the United States just a barren wasteland, perhaps you know, and and you know we we all owe it to ourselves to continue to make this a country that inspires, even compels our, our young women and men to join the service, to keep it that way from a defense perspective. And if I was a young person, maybe considering or thinking about, should I or should I not go to that recruitment center next to the Starbucks in my neighborhood mall, uh, what might you say to me? Well, first and foremost, I would say definitely join the Marine Corps. All right. <laughs> no, they're all branches are great. Uh, I, you know, we all have our own uh, our, our preferences. Uh, you know, I would say I don't think that the military service is for everyone. And I think that is the beauty of our part. One aspect of the, the many beautiful things that make up our country. Uh, but if someone were so inclined to want to serve in that capacity versus others, uh, I would say make sure that this is something uh, right for you. Make sure you're doing it for you know the right reasons you, you believe in the country. And then um, I would ask everybody that would join the military to be conscious that they are you know almost ambassadors for our country, uh, both domestically and, and, and abroad. And, and we need to behave in a way that exemplifies the very best uh, of what makes up this country. If you look at some of the stuff that's coming out of, and, and I don't know what's true or not true, but you see some of the things, and, and our military has made mistakes. Our military members have made mistakes. Nowhere in this have I thought, or, so if I said our, our military members are all perfect, okay? You, have we ever, ever seen any of the atrocities at this, that we, uh, that our military, have we ever committed those kind of atrocities in recent memory of what we're seeing coming out of the news right now as, uh, as being reported, uh, in Ukraine? Um, it's because we have a professional. Uh, I just read a report and I don't want to talk about the details because it made me want to throw up a report about what, um, the Russians are doing to the Ukrainian PO POWs. And it's shocking. It's, it's, it's bad. Look, there's no other way to say it. It's, it, it's bad. And uh, while we, our military is imperfect, let me tell everybody that's listening here, we as you know, ambassadors, emissaries, uh, representatives of uh, the military when we're wearing the uniform, you know, we're made very keenly, very conscious of that fact. Our behavior matters. And by the way, you want to really steal your enemy to fight you even harder? Do that kind of stuff. I'd rather 
overwhelm them with force and then extend a hand when they're ready to retreat and uh, you know, or surrender, then make them feel like they have no choice but to fight us to the very, very end. It's, it's, you know, that's another subject altogether. But our military members are trained. They're, uh, uh, you know, really, really, we, we think about these things as a country. We think about these things as a military. And it makes for better, more uh, competent military members. It, it, it absolutely does. Now, if people want to support Task Force Tribute, what should they do, Christian? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> so I would ask people to consider going to taskforcetribute.org, checking it out. Now, there's a map there, and there's going to be more details soon uh, where we're going to be. And if you're going to be near any of our stops, let's say you're around Michigan and Lansing on the 21st of our launch, where we're leaving from the state capitol, um, there'll be speeches from... Uh, you know, very important and and uh, people and great leaders, the adjutant general of the state of Michigan, uh, the governor of the state of Michigan. These are really great leaders that are, are, are getting behind this. But if you look at the schedule and you can turn out and, and, and support, we'd love to see you. Um, we would love, uh, you know, the opportunity for, of course, uh, there's no small extent, uh, financial support, taskforcetribute.org or projectreload.org. Uh, you know, we're, we're running a campaign of, one cent per mile, that's $70.54. All that money, again, we're 100% volunteer. All that money will go towards us figuring out how to build uh, this, this memorial that we've been talking about here. And then last but not least, if you are a military member or you know a military member, reach out to us if you've got something you want to share with us. We're making great partnerships with companies that can collect these stories and perspectives and give us that that data, that is that that proxy for that steel, the stone and the cement. Give Help us collect that information as we're also connecting with these other great organizations that already have these huge uh, archives. My wife and I were pushing two 97-year-old veterans around a museum a, a few weeks ago, and the stories that were spilling from them were amazing. And I asked him, have you ever shared those stories in any way? And the answer was no. It's a tragedy we can't avert for that generation, but we can do better now. We have the technology, we have the vision, and there's a lot of great people in this country that like to see this kind of thing come together because it's worth doing. And if I could just add one last thing, Chris, on that. A big part of this is for our military members. We talked about that. It's also for the Gold Star family members. We talked about that. Uh, and it, it it's, could be very informative and helpful and useful to all of us as citizens uh, of this country. But I want to go back. I want to go back to that topic of uh, the suicides. As we've started this and we've been doing focus groups and figuring out how this should come together, we're work, again, we're working with some really great companies that are, are, are experts in this. As we pull our military members in and they start talking about, you know, their stories and perspectives, and usually it's not their stories. It, it's, it's, this is an opportunity that for them to memorialize the great people they served with. It is hugely, hugely emotional. And 100% of the time, the feedback is it's massively cathartic. It, there, there's healing that goes on in the telling and the sharing of this. And we want to create these environments where people can actually share it, capture it, as opposed to bottling it up. And that's good for us, and it's good for them. Amen. Hallelujah. Anything else you'd like to touch on, uh, sir? 
No, I, I got to, I just, I want to thank you. And it's, it's, uh, this isn't one of those PC thank yous. Uh, you know, you and I had a number of conversations. Uh, you know, you've helped shape my thinking on this. And my thinking is going to continue to be shaped uh, by the other great people that I run into. I want to thank you, though. I want to thank you for an opportunity to be on the show. I want to thank you for the thought leadership uh, that you've provided. And I, and I want to thank you in advance, perhaps presumptively on my part, but thank you in advance for continuing to support Project Reload and specifically Task Force Tribute. It's, uh, it's an honor to know you, and it is a pleasure uh, uh, to uh, you know, be on the receiving end of your help. So thank you. You're very welcome, and I in, intend to write a check for uh, for the task force. Oh, thank you. Well, yes. Thank you. I, I, I'm a big believer in, um, uh, well, of course, our veterans, as you know. And I'm also a big believer that when, he, when one of your friends, well, first of all, if you're, if you're lucky enough to have made it to the fucking top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope. And with my friends, essentially any one of my friends who's involved with a nonprofit, I'm going to write him a check. I mean, come on. You just, so I'm going to write you a check. I appreciate it. Thank you. Task Force Tribute. Thanks. Uh, you. God bless you, brother. You as well. Taskforcetribute.org. <laughs> and Project Reload. Projectreload.org. Right. Org as well. Yep. Yeah. And we start on August 21st in Michigan. That's correct. And we end the mission on September 11th in Washington, D.C. Also correct. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christian. And thank you for being a massive, massive gift in my life. And it was great to see you at Cloud Wars Live and have a scotch on stage and <laughs> hang out with Bob. That's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to have scotch on stage. That should We should codify that for all those kind of events, huh? Maybe they. Maybe we should talk to John about renaming the Cloud Wars Expo Scotch on Stage. <laughs> At least our session. If we get to do another one together, let's do that. Scotch on stage. Yeah, that's just what we'll what we'll, what we'll call it. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, thank you so much. Good luck. Uh, I'll be cheering for you and supporting you in every way I know how. Thank you so much. And uh, to all your listeners, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there he is, my buddy, Captain Christian Anschutz. The organization is called Task Force Tribute. To learn more, check out taskforcetribute.org. That's taskforcetribute.org. And I also want to say a special thank you to the legendary Bob Evans of Cloud Wars Live for making the introduction to Christian and now having him be such a, a powerful part of my life. You can also find Christian regularly on the Cloud Wars Live podcast. Again, check out taskforcetribute.org. Dot org. And if this conversation meant anything at all to you, why not share it with somebody that you respect, admire, or maybe even love? Every podcast player has a share button. It's probably right in front of your finger right now. If you're looking at your podcast player, make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever other freaking button you're supposed to hit these days to make sure you get our next episodes because our next one after this is with a guy named Xander Rose from the Long Now Project. And you might have heard of them um, because they're uh, most well-known for getting funded by Jeff Bezos to build uh, a 10,000-year clock, all in a mission to help people think long-term. That's next, Xander Rose. It's a stunner. All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you so much. 
uh, for investing part of your life with us. It means the world to me and everybody here. Uh, our friends at Bottleneck.online are the world's first dedicated distant assistant. If you need an assistant who is nowhere near you but is a real person, check out Bottleneck.online today. Uh, our friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net today. And why not join the new movement to make work fun? Check out getairspeed.com. That's getairspeed.com. You see, uh, my friends at Airspeed are building the first work app where no work gets done. It's a place where you can hang out with your teammates, get to know them, and yes, have fun. We use Slack for collaboration, Zoom for communication, and soon, Airspeed for connection. Airspeed's in beta. If you want to help make work fun, go to getairspeed.com. All right, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love you just a little bit extra if you shared the shit out of it. It contains content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking and uh, potentially produce extreme result production. Produce extreme result production. <laughs> all rights do remain perturbed. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo, and he has got an extraordinary new podcast studio in the Los Angeles area. If you want to do some legendary podcasting or podcasting, as the case may be, go to jason.fyi. That's Jason. .fyi. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution around here, and they build Lockhead.com. And uh, while you're checking out Lockhead.com, why not subscribe to Category Pirates? Because if you're not reading Category Pirates, you're not reading Category Pirates. Uh, show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers do our web development, EX and RJ. And the handsome and talented Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack, and our accounts are three balance sheets to the wind. We record these oddcasts on squadcast.fm. Remember to teach kids service. Spread non-obvious thinking. Don't forget to be kind and rewind. Don't be lame. Get out of the effing passing lane for the love of God. And uh, everybody knows the dice are loaded. Blue Rodeo was right. Listen to Tom Waits. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. I love you, Mom and Dad, and hey, Colin. This podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Greg Clark, former CEO of Semantic. Sorry, Gregory. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>